Well, it's good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and some folks not visiting with us, but back with us. I've been sometimes since they've been here, so if you don't recognize them, it means a probably good chance they don't recognize you either, so uh, make sure you get to them. Take your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, first three plus months of this year we've spent in doctrine, uh, especially during our second service and second quarter of the year, although it's going to be shoved a little bit over, uh, comes under Jonathan's direction of practical Christian living, just broad subject, and we'll try to do stuff every all during these quarters, um, practical Christian living, putting doctrine in its in its rightful place. And one of the things that, that I had a burden for, I'd mentioned Jonathan, and he said, go ahead, and uh, is on this issue of giving. We, as I've said last week, and just catching you up, a lot of, a lot of uh, the way that we give was, we caught it. If you were raised in a Christian home, you probably had some type of example of that. Your dad taught you to tithe, even at a small age. You know, somebody gives you ten dollars, he'd tell you, "Put now, put a dollar in the offering plate to the Lord." And so we got taught to tithe. And the question we're going to ask is: Is that biblical? Does that fall upon us um, here in the New Testament? And I was left this morning as I was putting this all together was this is either going to be a short sermon or a very long one. And so giving that it's that, that, that day that I've mentioned six times already, it is that day I'm going to choose to do the shorter one, although you may go, well, if that was short, I hate to see long. But, but again, it, next week we are going to dig deep in this issue of tithing. Where did that come from? What is the tithe of the Old Testament? Um, what was the example there? Does it apply to us today? Uh, I think you may be surprised by my answer to that as we look at it. And I'm not coming at this standpoint from, we want your money. That's not the issue. Uh, Giving is a part of our worship and our love for the Lord. And last week I I mentioned something and the Lord convicted me of it um, that I didn't say it. What I said was correct. It just wasn't all that it was supposed to be. So look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm just going to read down through verse 8. So 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that is given among the churches at Macedonia. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their, and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not only as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. 
I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others your love also is genuine. Let me keep reading a little bit. Verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. And I'll stop there. We could actually read this all the way through chapter 9, but we're going to stop there. What I said last week was this issue of giving was to be, first of all, driven by grace. And what I said to that was that this is in response to the grace that the Lord has given us. And so we, we love the Lord and we are thankful for what He's done. We're thankful for the grace that He shed in our hearts. And in response to that grace, we give. That's correct, it's just not all correct. So what do you mean? Let me ask you a question. Salvation is wholly of God or, in particular, grace. It's all of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift to God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's wholly of grace. We, we, we praise Him, we praise the Lord for awakening, and we pray that God would awaken sinners, right? We, we pray that God would grant the grace of repentance, and we pray that God will grant the grace of faith in them and, and renew them and awaken them from the dead so that they might believe in Him. That's the grace. So as we've seen this, as we see here though, He's talking about a grace of giving. So what's my point? My point is that as much as salvation is a gift of grace, so is giving a gift yes. of grace. Means God's going to open your heart and your mind to what it means to give. It's a grace to give. How do you know that? Well, verse 1 he said it. Verse 6 he completed among you this act of grace in verse 6. The act of grace also in verse 7 that you excel in this grace also. Look at chapter 2, verse 8, or chapter 9, verse 8. Chapter 9, verse 8, yeah. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's a gift of grace. And then also in verse 14, I'll start my reading in verse 13. By the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. They're recognizing that the gift that they received was a gift of grace from God through you. Which means it's all a gift of grace, right? It's all grace. So what I'm saying is, as much as we would pray for a lost sinner, that God would open their, their, their minds and their hearts, that He would grant them the grace to believe, we, we as elders, and you should, that God would do this among us as a, in a relationship to our giving. Amen. So that the people in southern Africa or wherever would see, listen, by your... Do your good works that they may do what? Glorify God, right? So in your good works, what does it produce? They talk about God. That's what you want. You don't want them talking about you. You want them talking about God. So God, look what God has done. Yes, through Providence, or yes, through Beacon, or yes, through you as an individual, but it's all an issue of grace. It's God's grace. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ 
is over everything in our life, right? We've talked about sovereignty. He is sovereign. You don't make Him sovereign. He is sovereign. You don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. We are His. And all we have is His. He alone reigns in us. But, as we mentioned last week, and we won't go back to this text in Romans 7, Paul admits there's a war going on inside of me. That the things that I, I should be doing, I don't do. The things that I won't do, but the things I don't do, that's what I find myself doing. And so there's a war going on inside of me. Well, the same thing happens in our giving, doesn't it? Sit down at the first month and you're, you're going to write a check or whatever you do and you start thinking, man, I could really use... Uh, hmm. I, I, really, I really want that 50-inch television. And, and, and this, is the kind, this is the stuff that's running through our heads. That's the reality, isn't it? Okay? And it's a war sometimes, isn't it? Say, so I'm going to put the Lord first. First. Really? It's convicting power, so we recognize the war. We see that war lived out in our passions and in our selfishness, in our self-centeredness. We see it lived out in our homes and in relationships. We see it, we see it lived out this, this war outside in our relationship. We see it in the church. And we use such things as my, as possession. And I realize it's, it's a term, many times it's a term of endearment. Okay, not every time you say my, or I use my, it's not, I bless God, I own that. That's not maybe what we're saying. My car as opposed to your car. Okay, I get it. I don't want to stretch it too far. But there is an issue that my, my does imply ownership. And it's not my car. It's his car. It's, it's not my house. It's his house. My job is not mine. It's His. That's what God gave me. God gave me the talent and the ability to do my job so I could earn a living so that I might be a blessing to others and feed my family and take care of those around us. That's, that's it. But where's the priority? There's no greater place to see the attitude that we have in, when, but until we cut, touch this issue of, of giving. Turn over real quickly, First Timothy, First Timothy, chapter six. Verse 10, you know this text, "For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. Is that not true? Start getting. You are slave to the what? To the lender. Yes. Okay, and it's. it's I, I get. We can't pay cash for our houses. I get it. But the reality is, that's got to be paid. So it's a natural place. Of, notice verse. You're still there in First Timothy. Look over at chapter six. Look at verse. 17, as for the rich in this present age. And of course, we would understand, can we define that? Define rich. You won't like the definition. 
If you have, by biblical definition, if you have more clothes than you can wear in a day, or more food than you can consume in a day, you were declared rich. It's in the news this week of a female basketball player that got arrested and spent 10 months in prison, in a Russian prison, got freed. Well, before that, she had championed not standing for the national anthem. I don't know if you read this, her first game back in the WNBA, she stood because she said it took on a different attitude for me. Oh, wow. Right? Maybe, maybe we should walk in the moccasins of others. Maybe, maybe I wish I could. I wish, I wish I could take you to Zimbabwe. Southern Africa. Okay. That's not to say God hasn't blessed us. We, we should, that's fine. Whatever house, that's great. We're not talking about the size of the house. We're not talking about the car that you drive. I'm just talking about our attitude that we realize we are rich. Those that are rich in this present age, that's us. Charge them not to be haughty. My possessions. My stuff. Nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches. And we are, we are packing it away for retirement. Remember my uncle, who lived in Moore County, very wealthy, said to my dad one time, um, said something about his riches. And my dad looked at him and said, you need to give more away. I can solve this problem. Why don't you give it away? But it's, un- it's trusting in these uncertain riches. You know what riches could not do for him? Could not save his life. Amen. He died. Like we all will, right? Yes. Okay. We're, 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 where's, our, where's our trust? Where's our hope? In uncertain riches. But, but on God who is richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything we have is a gift of the Lord. Amen. It's all, all of grace. And they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the truth for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, we're setting up treasure where? In heaven. Yeah, that's our attitude. Well, that's the war though, isn't it? I don't care how much money you got. I remember Lee had been, my grandma, my mother had given Lee some money and, and he had seen this little car wash thing made out of Nerf stuff and he just had to have it. And I said, okay, sure, five dollars, you can spend it, you want to. And we hadn't been home, I don't know, a half hour of come, comes back to me and said, I said, how you doing with that? And he goes, Dad, it's, it's not what I thought it was. It never is. <laughs> it never is. Not saying don't buy a new car. I'm just saying that new car smell will stop one day. Okay? And it will go bad. It's made by man. And it is doomed to destruction. Okay? So where are we putting our riches? That's what he said. Storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that it may take hold that which is truly life. I read this quote. MacArthur, talking about the love of money, Aiken's love of money brought disaster to himself, his family, and his nations in Joshua 7. 
Balaam's love for money caused him to, to foolishly attempt to, to curse God's chosen people, which resulted in his death in Numbers 31. Delilah's love of money led her to betray Samson, which ultimately led to the death of thousands. Judas's love of money caused him to betray the Lord Jesus Christ and damn him to eternal torment in hell. Ananias and Sapphira's love of money led them to be hypocritical, lie about their giving, and die. Loving money makes people forget God. Trust in their riches rather than in Him. Be deceived. Compromise convictions. Be proud. Steal from God. Ignore the needs of others. Love of money causes people to pursue it illegally by stealing or by fraud or usury and gambling which foolishly trust in chance rather than in the providence of our God. Well, back to our text in 2 Corinthians. It's getting longer than I thought. Um, Church is established. You can go back to Acts 2. They're there for, I think, the Feast of Tabernacles and places packed and that's the day Pentecost happens and 3,000 souls are added to the church that day. And this was not just people in Jerusalem. This is people from all over. Where are they going to stay? We don't know the size of the church in Jerusalem at the side, but probably a couple hundred. Can you imagine Peter looking at the congregation and saying, okay, um, we're going to need help with this. Uh, Ed, I need you to take 300 people home with you today. I mean, where are we putting them? Not to mention jobs they lost, even the children of people in Israel who were forsaken by their families because they had embraced Christianity, if you want to put it that way. The Lord had saved them. In fact, the next chapter in Acts says there was over 5,000 men at the church before long, not counting women and children. And so there was a great need. And so Paul, as he was going out, he would talk about the saints, which did, again, a couple of things in that they were Jews and the Gentiles. And, of course, there was always a struggle between them, but it helped to blend that together. It helped them to realize that although they made Gentiles, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And they couldn't wait to help. Much like our people are when we talk about the needs in Southern Africa. You're, you're, man, you're there. This is where he is. And of course, lots have gone on in Corinthians. They had promised to give this offering, and now, now, now Paul's reminding them, okay, we've got everything settled now. You're, you're back where you ought to be. But let me remind you, you promised to give an offering, and Titus is going to show up, and don't you embarrass yourself by not having it. What did he tell them? Didn't tell them how much. Didn't tell them what. He just said, you said you were going to give. Don't you embarrass yourself, but you give. Okay. That's the background to our text. So we talked about giving, talked about four things. Giving is driven by grace. It's a gift of grace of the Lord. Number two, in our text, we find in verse two, that's in verse one of chapter eight, verse one. Verse two is even in difficult circumstances, in severe test of affliction. These people weren't abundant or affluent people. They were just dirt farmers, most of them. They didn't have much. But also we find out in verse 2 that it, it was because of their abundance of joy. You know, sometimes the ha- most happiest people in the world don't, are those that don't have anything. When I lived in the mountains, we, my brothers-in-laws did paving stone work and 
usually didn't do them at double wide trailers. So you had they were they were done at these ritzy houses and put it down, and the guy wasn't happy with it. Pull it all up, pour concrete, and put it all back. Well, Lee was just little. He's there helping, and he's putting the dirt down and sweeping. And when the owners comes out and says something while we're working, didn't say thank you, didn't say can I get you some water, didn't say boo. And he walks off, and Lee goes, that's probably one of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Guy that we work for also up there built a multi-million dollar house and was petrified somebody was going to walk into it in the middle of the night. You couldn't get to this thing if you wanted to. And as a security guard, we had to sit in the driveway from 5 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock the next morning, 5 o'clock in the afternoon till 6 o'clock next morning, sit in the driveway in the middle of blizzards to make sure somebody didn't show up in the middle of the night to take a door handle. Scared to death about losing something. Because that was his riches. That was his life. I mean, he's scared to death to do that. But they gave it out of the depth of their joy. And then also he says there at the end of verse 2, and have overflowed or in, in their extreme poverty, in the depth of their poverty. Just want to give you three today. We're going to pick up at the ending part of verse 2, move on. Not only is given driven by grace and in difficult circumstances and given in the depth of joy and in deep poverty, number five, giving is in sincerity or singleness of heart. Look at the end of verse 2. Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Let me say this. The other ones have all been pointing towards this one. This was this is Paul's climax in his statement in the first two verses. It's all of grace, yes, it's in difficult circumstances, it's in the depth of joy, it's in the depth of poverty, but in all of that, it ended up in their singleness of heart, in their generosity. That's what he's magnifying. Overflowed. It overflowed in abundance. It means a it's in, in Mark twelve it's used as surplus of goods. Luke 12, abundance of material things. But mostly the word here that's used as a wealth or overflowed is used more often to describe grace that the Lord has given towards sinners. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it abounds to sinners that He gives in Acts 15, or Romans 15 the abundant hope that He gives. Or... Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, the, the abundant comfort that we have in Christ. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. So the word can refer to material riches, but most of the time it's used in relationship to spiritual riches. Look at uh, Colossians 1, look at verse 27. We've preached through this. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's, there it is, the abundance, the overflowing. Look at chapter 2. You're still in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. And their hearts may be encouraged, being knitted together in love, to reach all the riches of the fullness of assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Although the Macedonians did not possess material possessions, they did possess 
a wealth of liberality and generosity. The word that's defined there is a wealth of generosity, abundance of generosity is liberality, simplicity, sincerity. It gives an idea of the single-mindedness in this area of giving. I've already talked about some of it. Double-minded people find this extremely difficult. I know there's a need somewhere. I I know I should help, but I'm torn because they got that TV on sale. Or they got got this, and, and, and it may be a need. Are you going to die without it? That's, yeah, that's the struggle, right? There it is. And double-minded people are, what does the Bible say? Double-minded people are unstable in all their ways. This is just one of them. It's hard for a double-minded person to be this kind of wealth of generosity. Because it reveals a concern of self and temporal matters, conflict with their concern for others in the kingdom of God. They are rich in single-mindedness. If, if the Macedonians were rich in anything, Paul says they were rich in single-mindedness. They had, a, they had a dead focus on why they existed. One writer says, single-minded and gave no thought of themselves or the world. Don't worry about that. I know the condition of our world. But as believers, this is not home. That's right. It's not home. We're just strangers and pilgrims. Are we single minded like that? I'm just I'm just walking home. Philippians, you have to turn to this, but you can jot it down in your notes. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 do not do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves even in your checkbook even in your bank statement are others more important than me verse 4 let each of you look not only on his own interest but also on the interest of others Bob and I've talked about our dear sister Trying not to use words to describe too much, but our dear sister in Southern Africa, mm-hmm. she she will die penniless. Don't fuss at her. She's gonna meet a need if it kills her. Yeah. Yeah. Everything she's got, she's just. What do you do? What do you do when you go to one of the churches and they say, "Mum." Little junior sick and we can't afford the antibiotic. Well, you gonna say? Well, I'm sorry, I got money, but I'm saving it for. You gonna do that? I just want to be next to you when you tell the Lord that in heaven. I want to see His response. You did what? Remember, Jesus says you ministered unto me. When did we do that? When I was sick, homeless, hungry. You gave me something to eat. Huh. Macedonians live for others and not themselves. 
down to verse 5, back to 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse 5. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Consciously? Sit in your house, just... Lord, it's all yours. This is yours. Put your hands, go, go in your bedroom one evening, kids are asleep, put your hands on them and say, they belong to you. They're yours. Everything you have belongs to Him. It's the way they live. The world will tell us it's all about you. You deserve this. This will make you happy if. The Bible says none of it's about you. Amen. None of it's about you. Your home's not about you. It's about Him. It's about others. Everything we do, it's not about us. The Bible tells us it's better to give than to receive. Whereas I read that text in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. You'd have to turn back to it. Let me just read it to you again. 1 Timothy 6, verses 16 and 17. And the rich in the present age charge them not to be haughty or set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God who riches provides us everything to enjoy. They are to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and share, ready to share. Thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Is that us? Timothy there uses the word haughty, high-minded, viewing oneself too highly. Back to our text, so then giving... Giving is an issue of simplicity or single-mindedness. Number six, giving is to be within your ability. Look at verse three. For they gave according to their means. And Paul says there, I, 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 I give testimony of this. Look at the end of... For they gave according to the leads, as I give, I can testify. He saw it. Their ability, the means, the power, the strength, the capacity, or the means. Look at uh, look at verse um, twelve of this chapter. For it in the readiness is here; it is acceptable according to what a person has, and not according to what he does not have. You can't give what you don't have. That's right. I'd love to give $100,000. Don't put that check in the offering plate. Because I'd love to see how high that thing would bounce. Okay, you're not giving out of what you don't have. God's not expecting you to go in debt over this. Don't put it on a credit card. Giving, to, giving according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. This is why the Bible sets no amount or percentage for our giving. 
any percentage would be, one, a sacrifice for some and a blip on the screen for others. Here we go, illustration. Let's compare a person that makes $50,000 a year to somebody who makes $7 billion a year. Okay? That's still this guy's income. $7 billion a year. And both of these people are going to buy a $30,000 automobile. So what we're asking is not what the automobile costs, but what's the impact upon them. It's an issue of impact. $30,000 vehicle impact on $50,000 is 60% of his income. Now I realize we'll probably expand it out, but just reality, okay, 60% income. If the guy who makes $7 billion a year buys a $30,000 vehicle, you know the impact on him? Point zero 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 four. Four one millionth of a percent. Take that and multiply that times $50,000. It's going to judge impact. Him spending $30,000 on that vehicle would be like you spending 21 cents. So when we talk about, well, it's 10%. 10% make 50, that's 5,000 bucks. Got a couple of kids at home and wow. What's 50, what's 10% of the guy that makes $7 billion? Nothing. Hey, it's nothing. We give in accordance to what we have. If God hasn't blessed you to make $7 billion a year, you don't give like that. You give in accordance to what you have. By the way, can I offer a warning here? Be careful about bargaining with God. Lord, if you do this for me, I'll give you 25%. You know what that is? That's a bribe. Yes. Remember, we were talking, my brother's a CPA one time, talking about winning a million dollars and how much taxes are on it. He said, I'd pay taxes on a million dollars. I'd still end up with about $600,000, even after taxes. I'd do that. See, I'm afraid sometimes when we make these kind of bargaining with the Lord, it's not the 25% that we're aiming. It's the 75% that we're after. If you're going to bargain with Him, tell Him, Lord, you do this, I'll give it all away. But be careful about tempting. That's, that's what that is. You're tempting the Lord thy God. You shall not tempt the Lord thy God. That's what you're doing. So giving is to be in sincerity, singleness of heart. Giving is to be with inside our means. What we have, what God has blessed you with. That's this the only way that you can make this. And lastly, although it is to be with inside our means, lastly this morning, giving is to be sacrificial. Next part of verse 3, for I testify, and beyond their means. Beyond it. Beyond their ability. 
beyond maybe what is reasonable or expected. I've, I've had people say to my dad, you, you, all that money you're giving to Gideons and stuff, he, and he didn't make this known, I'm just, this is his life, and he said, you know how much stuff you could, you could accumulate, new car you could do with all this, and Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 with me just a minute. Hebrews 13. See, I told you this was going to be short. I'm on page 4. And I only have 27 pages, so it's going to be short. Hebrews 13. Look at verse 16, I think. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you're a believer and you're 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 one of the Lord's, your desire ought to live, be living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Yes. That gives him joy. That gives him the, the the glory that's due his name. We said one way to do that is don't neglect to give. Don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. They gave with no regards of themselves. They believed God's promises to supply all of their needs. I would say Philippians 4.19 was not a poster on the wall, but was an anchor of their heart. God will supply all my needs in direct proportion to his riches in glory. Talk about a guy who has seven billion dollars. God owns it all. Yes. All the cows are his. Mm-hmm. All of it's his. They believed it. Do we live like that? Is 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 God should supply all my needs according riches and glory? Is that just a catchphrase? Is that you don't have it on your shirt. Is that something we put on shirt? I'm not saying you can't. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking that. I'm asking the question, is it, is it just words on a page or is that really the Lord will supply my needs? They, they refuse to worry about things. Matthew 6, remember? They'll be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made on unto God. Hmm. They gladly placed themselves in deep dependence on the Lord. They didn't want to do what we find in First Chronicles or Paul's testimony in First Chronicles twenty-one, verse twenty-four, where Paul says, "I'm not going to give something that didn't cost me. It cost me nothing. It cost me something." Or Mark twelve, where the lady says. She, Lord washed her. She gave what? All she had. They gave with selfless abandonment. Is your giving driven by God's grace? If not, I, I think you need to make that a prayer. Lord, you saved me by grace. 
raised me up by grace. You granted me repentance by grace. Lord, would you teach me by grace? Help me to excel in this grace also. Is your giving even in difficult circumstances? Is it your joy? You know, text we will get to is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one shall give as he's decided in his heart. And that's the key. This is what we're going to find next week. Where, where does this come from? It comes from within the heart because giving is an issue of the heart. But verse 7 says, Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a... What kind of giver? Cheerful. Cheerful, it means hilarious. Don't give till it hurts. Song used to say, give till it tickles. And isn't it that way sometimes? When you've got it and there's a need that's mentioned and you're able to meet that need, you walk away. Nobody else may know that, but you and the Lord know it. And I'm, I'm telling you, there's a joy in your heart that just goes, wow, that's Lord, you used me today to feed somebody. You used me today to spend the gospel to somebody. It creates a deep joy. They also gave, and we should, in the depth of poverty. I'm not talking to $7 billion a year, people. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> if you are, we need to talk. No. And I, you know, not many rich, not many noble, not many wise are chosen. I pray, I do often pray for that man that makes $7 billion a year. And you would think, I would think, you know, what he could do for the kingdom. And God says, I don't need his money. <laughs> yeah, he loves his money. Howard Hughes, when I asked Howard Hughes, how much is enough? One more dollar. One more dollar. They also gave in singleness of heart, in sincerity. But they also gave within the bounds of what they had. I think, I'm sure I'd love to give more. I'd love to do more. I'll close with a story from missionary to Romania. Harry's been there since early days. Romania is uh, changed a lot. I'd love to. Well, I'd love to. In many ways, see it today. Maybe not. In those early days, people that had been kept from getting Bibles, you could go there with Bibles and we handed out 24,000 scriptures in 45 minutes. Okay? And we could have handed out 20 times that amount. But uh, Romania, and I guess Europe is large, has a big population of gypsies. And the missionary was talking to the gypsy guy and he goes, it's nothing personal. I mean, we steal from each other. So, he pulled up one day in front of the big apartment building they're staying in. And I mean, they, they would steal the rubber off of the windshield wiper. Okay? You talk about jacking the car up. and I mean, it's, it's like, like a bunch of piranhas. If you walked into a place, spent two minutes, come back out, there ain't nothing left of your car except a shell. It's just like they descend on it. And they, well, he pulled up. Well, what he found out was that the guy who was the manager of the building was also a gypsy. So the money you were giving him to pay the heat bill or electric bill, <laughs> guess where that was not going? Okay, sure. 
So like I said, it's not personal. We steal from everybody. So there was no electricity on in the building. So the missionary went down and paid the electric bill for the entire building. And so when he pulled up, people knew it. They knew what he had done. And they knew who he was. He's the electric bill payer. And they would set guards around his car 24-7 to keep it from being stolen. Keep it from being stripped because they realized. Well, that pastor, same pastor said, my, my goal when we pass the offering plate is to get the plate back. <laughs> That's a good offer. Okay. But he said, you know what? I've seen those people transformed by the gospel and go from being thieves to givers like you wouldn't believe. Then the offering plate did overflow. He said, I, I didn't want to ask where it came from. <laughs> but he said, Lord, change their hearts. It's an issue of grace. Listen, Providence, we're not, we're not preaching this so you give more, although we would, we, that's great. We'd love for you to. You're going to have to do examination. Not, not because I'm telling you to give 10%. I'd never tell you to do that. But give as you purposed in your heart to give. Yes. Before the Lord. But ask the Lord to do that grace work in you. Yes. Tell Him, Lord, I'm, I'm addicted to this world. I want all the gadgets. I want them all. Lord, would you, would you help me break that? Would you help me to crucify the flesh in that? And Lord, would you give me a, a heart of grace that I would see missions and I would see giving as a joy. Yes. A joy to give. Because giving is an issue of the heart. But it's also an issue of grace. And see that you excel in this grace also. Father, we thank you for your word that cuts cross grain to us. Father, we would be lying if we said we didn't love this world. Not loving its direction, not loving the politics, but well, we love the things. Lord, we love them so much that we have to have storage units of their places to store our junk. But Father, I pray for a work of grace. I pray that we would want that kind of work in us. Lord, convict me. And Lord, help me to crush this war that's going on inside of me. May I say with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Make it our heart's desire to do more. Because in the end, it's all going to burn. In the end, you can't take it with you. Father, we can invest in the kingdom. We can invest in young men that want to take the glorious gospel to southern Africa. We can help them by giving them an income. Father, we've we got to have funds to do that. 
Father, I pray that you touch the lives of our people. Not because I've asked them to give a percentage or any amount, but Lord, that they would search their heart. And give of grace. Give out of the depth of joy. Give out of single-mindedness. But give in proportion to what we have, and we're going to also find, as we did, and what they don't have. They gave by faith. Help us to be those kind of people. We'll thank and praise you for all that you do. In Christ's name, amen.